Hi, I'm Leanna Tankersley, and this is my podcast, Beginning Again. My dear friend, Elaine Hamilton, and I have cooked up a little something for you guys, but first, here's some background. In 2017, my marriage ended, and in 2019, Elaine's husband, Ken, unexpectedly passed away from a very aggressive form of cancer. Though we no longer live down the street from each other like we once did, Elaine and I have navigated these losses side by side. Elaine is a licensed therapist and the founder of the soulcarehouse.com. She splits her time between Portland and San Diego, and I am in Central Virginia. We're on opposite sides of the country, but we're finding we have more to talk about than ever. Ooh, do we ever. Life, love, loss, the future it's all on the table. We're wondering if you might be navigating some of these same topics yourself. So we thought we'd invite you to pull up a chair. In this episode, Elaine and I sit down and we talk about together some of the difficulties that some of us can have with aspects of hope, including disappointment, including despair, and including the ever-present question when we go through hard things, why? Why is this happening? So Elaine jumps right in with some burning questions that she has specifically with material that she's taken from my new book, Hope Anyway. We hope you guys enjoy this episode. Okay, so let's talk about this. I am interested in some thoughts in chapter 13. One of the things that you're talking about there is this idea that the opposite of hope is not actually despair, it's apathy, which is really, I think, an important thing to think about when you're trying to process what's going on with you yeah. after a time of a lot of hopelessness or trauma or whatever. So what, what you wrote was despair still cares, apathy is empty. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that a little? Yeah, what, I, what I'm talking about there and what I've seen in my own story is that grief is actually a people mover. If we'll participate in it, that, um, you know, a quick aside, I was just listening to a converse, a podcast conversation with Dave Hollis and Heidi Powell, who are now dating, who went through Mm -hmm. a divorce each. And, um, and I was just listening to it earlier today. Actually, it's a new episode that they recorded together and they're talking about kind of their own healing journeys after their individual divorces. And Heidi talks about this, how she jumped right into work. She was constantly parenting and she numbed herself with work and Dave was able, and some of this is unavoidable, but he was able because of the flexibility of his work and the flexibility of his co-parenting situation to be able to spend some, some, some time alone doing a lot of work of just feeling his feelings, you know, going on long runs and sitting on rocks and crying and praying. And I, I found that, and and neither of them were, were, this was, this was kind of a judgment free zone, but Heidi was saying it prolonged her healing because of, um, her inability to kind of sit and feel her feelings. Right. Mm -hmm. And so back to my point that I think grief is one of the things we run from the fastest and the hardest in the opposite direction. But if we will participate in it, which simply just means feeling our feelings are negative and hard and big feelings when they come up, it does move us along and it heals us. And we think it's going to um, paralyze us and keep us stuck, right? That's the lie in our head is that if I, if Mm -hmm. I move into these feelings and allow them to come near me, they're going to 
they're going to completely overwhelm me and drown me. And sometimes they do. And sometimes that's what requires us to help that that requires us to reach out and get help and see a therapist or call a friend, none of which is bad either. But, um, I think grief is, or maybe you want to call it what I refer to in, in, um, in the chapter, I use the word despair. Yeah. I think it's a tunnel and it's a dark tunnel, but there's light at the end of it. Right. And apathy is maybe another word I would use for that is numbing. Mm-hmm. And that is a, that's a loop and there's no end to that. It's just a loop. And what I found in my own life is that, and let me tell you my, I have temptations every day to numb. I'm not saying this from a perspective of that's just not something I do anymore. I'm graduated from that. No way. It's a human, it's a constant human temptation to just say, I want to sit here and not feel anything. And there's a lot of ways we do that, right? We try to drown it with Sauvignon Blanc. We try to um, like pretty it up with online purchases. We, there's a lot of ways we try to numb. You know, we just jump into work, whatever it is. So yeah, I think in my own life, when I'm when I'm tending toward this apathetic place, like I just want to numb. I don't want to participate. The problem is we don't just numb the grief. We numb the joy. We numb the the hope. We numb the creativity the possibilities of being, you know, having this generative life and Mm -hmm. we numb the adventure. We numb the ability to really be there with our kids. And, um, so I, I'm also learning that when I choose apathy and when I choose numbness, there's no gift in it. It doesn't deliver. It just doesn't deliver. Ultimately. I just miss everything. I miss my kids. I miss my own heartbeat, you know, my own soul. And I miss the people I love. So again, there are times where I think some of these feelings are unavoidable, mm-hmm. um, but as much as we're able, I just think choosing to enter into the feelings of life, even when they're hard feelings, there's more gifts in that um, than choosing to numb. So yeah. yeah, I think people think, oh, the opposite of having hope is to is to be despairing. Well, despairing still has some presence mm-hmm. and we're online at least when we're despairing. So I love when I read that, that actually the opposite of hope is apathy. That when we, when we numb out, that's when hope goes off the radar. We, there's just nothing. So I, I, that's been a good stopgap for me and a good question to ask myself is what I'm feeling right now, what I'm being tempted to do. Um, is it just hard because it's, I'm being invited into hard feelings that I don't want to feel, or am I just numb? you know? So, yeah, I love, I love what you're saying. And it's a a conversation that we have in therapy all the time with clients, right? So the, if, if you spend too much time and who knows what too much time is too much time numbing, um, you're really prolonging your process. You're really just creating a placeholder for this is where you're stuck in your journey and you're not going to move forward until you get back into what's actually going on with you because that that other numbing stuff is not real it's just you wandering around in circles and that's really disappointing if it's like your strategy right like right my strategy is just to numb my way through this till i get to a place where it doesn't bother me anymore it's like well that day's not coming right that is yeah. Coming. And then you're tempted to grab the first thing that helps you feel better in the short run. Right. And those, again, it's just, it doesn't deliver and it takes time to learn that. I think we have to mess up a little bit sometimes to like realize, okay, that's not a helpful strategy. Yeah. That's yeah. not going to deliver, yeah. but 
Yeah. And I think when you, it's probably very similar to the conversations you are having in therapy. Like when you actually go into those feelings, even if they're hard, even if they're the thing we want to avoid the most, it actually puts us in a right relationship with all the things that are important to us, right? It, mm-hmm. it puts us in touch with like this fleshy human part of us. And that's our vulnerability. I don't like it. I wish I was made of solid, you know, gold impervious, but it's right. not the case. And I'm actually at my best self and, or my better self when I can inhabit that fleshy, vulnerable part of me, because it requires me to do the work that God's given me to do, which is my writing. Cause it helps heal me. It requires me to reach out to my friends and the people that I know love me and say, today is super sucky and you know, I need you or I'm just struggling. Or like when we got on this call, I was like, I feel like a little bit of a circus and I can say that. Right. And it, mm-hmm. it's helpful to be able to just like, let's talk about that. Or it, you know, it puts me in a right relationship with my faith because I'm in need. And so I'm not just sitting here self-reliant trying to cut, you know, if I, if, if I am responsible for figuring out all the best strategies to help myself, it's, it's very doomed, you know, mm-hmm. it's very doomed. So yeah. When I'm in that vulnerable place, it requires me to look outside myself. It requires me to look inside myself for sure, but also outside myself. And I think that's where, that's the sweet spot. Yeah. Yeah. Another way we can get stuck, I find, is that um, it's tempting to spend a lot of time and energy trying to figure out why something has happened to you. Mm. Um, And noticing that like a lot of people around you can have opinions or they're wanting to process it like that too, right? Like someone dies, like in my situation and some folks will want to come up with a reason why that happened, right? That, that isn't based on science, right? Like it's based on making yourself more comfortable with something traumatic happening in the world. Right. And, or someone leaving you, like, why, why did that happen? Like, what was going on? Like, let's get really clear about whose fault that was and what could have been done differently and all of that. And that's another real trap, right? Where we can get stuck trying to figure that out and banging, you know, banging on all the doors about like, why, why is this happening to me? Yeah. And I think other people want to know why it's happening so that they can make sure it doesn't happen to them. Yeah. (laughs) That's the the subplot there is like, why did this happen to your husband? Why did this happen in your marriage? And if if we can figure out why, then I can make myself, I can put a fireproof wall up so that that won't happen to us, you know? So that's part of that. But then, yeah, I think, I think we're trying to put meat. And I remember you talking about this right after Ken's death, that everyone needs meaning. Everyone needs some layer of meaning, you know, and it's not wrong. It's just where we go to find the meaning of why this happened um, Mm -hmm. can take people down some kind of bizarre paths, you know, and it can be where one person finds meaning in a situation. Like I remember some people said some things to you about Ken's death and it's like, you have to be really careful when you're, when you have extrapolated meaning from a situation and then you're imposing that on the person who is closest to it, that can be very hurtful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, Oh, well, God means that this for good or God meant this so that, and it's like anything like that is tricky. (laughs) Well, you know, (laughs) yeah. And if you say things like that to people, you might want to be aware that you're taking your life in your hands, right? Like, cause I felt slightly homicidal when people right. would say shit like that. I'm just like, that is so unhelpful. Yeah. 
Yeah, you feel murderous. Murderous. Yeah, yeah. You have no idea. It's easy for you to say. Right. And it really reveals that that person hasn't done any processing about what these things mean in their life. Like when bad things happen to you, and they happen to all of us, what do you do with that? Like where, what box do you put that in? And then you're spreading that around to other folks. And if you have, if you haven't done that thoughtfully, if you've done that sort of like with pat answers or things that you feel like you're supposed to think about that, well, it's usually very unhelpful. Yeah. And it's easy to kind of, like we're just saying, it's easy to, to look at someone else's life when you're completely unattached in the ways that they are and impose meaning on that. And, and then let's, let's turn the situation around and let's talk yeah. with you when you're the one that's on the floor <laughs> right, and right. say, isn't it good that God meant this for your growth? You know, it's yeah. like, no, no. Yeah. So yeah, I think there's a lot of theology, right? There's a whole lot mm. of theology around mm-hmm. why these things happen. Does God cause them? Does God uh, put them in our lives to make us grow. Does there's there's things that happen throughout all. I mean, look at the life of Job throughout all of the Bible. Look at mm-hmm. look at the narrative of the life of Christ Himself going to the cross. Um, there's a lot of theology that people have designed around, um, you know, why these things happen. And and I think yeah. we both have maybe some interesting thoughts about that. We do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have a lot of thoughts about that. So um, so you start. You start. Oh, gosh. You know, I've been waiting for 30 years to use this now that you're creating this opening for me. Um, when I went to seminary decades ago, my the very first class I took was called Biblical Prolegomena. Oh, good grief. Yeah, yeah. It took me the entire semester to learn how to pronounce the name of the course. Obviously. So, but it was it was very eye-opening, and it was this idea that you can't approach scripture in a way that will result in you coming up with a correct interpretation. Mm. This was sort of the idea, right? Like what you can do is come up with something that was called a valid interpretation. Mm. Like, yeah, that's a valid idea. That's a valid perspective. We can play that out and see, does that make sense with how life works and other can we resource that idea against other things and see does that make sense but the idea of knowing mm-hmm. for sure about mm-hmm. something was really was really taken off the table in that course and saying that what we're doing here is trying to approach the narratives in the bible or the the themes or whatever of that and trying to come up with something that makes sense in terms of being a valid way to interpret that. And there's a million ways you can do that, right? And we we certainly have all experienced that if we're like listening to different people sort of pull apart pieces of scripture, mm-hmm. they come up with sometimes wildly different perspectives yep. about those things, right? And yep. so we can see that, yeah, everybody's doing their own thing with that. And I think uh, I think the people I trust most are the ones who say, you know, I, I want to be clear that I'm not speaking for God because honestly, I can't, right? right. Like right. what I can do is give it a shot and yeah. say what I think makes sense, say what I think is valid, but always with this open hand of like, I don't know, yeah. I don't know. And me no. deciding that I know something does not make it so. Yep. It, and it's That's also big. scary. It's scary mm-hmm. to, um, 
Yes. I, I love that. I completely agree with it. And I, it harkens me back to my own educational experience, which is doing a master's degree in English. And in many ways, it's the same. Every text you approach, you're realizing that as you're looking at a text, that it's impossible, impossible as a human being to come to any text. This includes the Bible without some kind of bias. And as a person who is taking apart a text or as a a company that's that's uh, translating a text. I mean, no matter what you're doing with it, you're coming with a bias that you cannot, uh, sometimes it's explicit, sometimes it's implicit, but you can't say that's not true of you or not true of your church or not true of your pastor. Mm-hmm. There's a lens mm-hmm. through which you are approaching this. Yeah. And so I think that always makes me nervous too. When I, I am, I hope aware of that, that I am always approaching everything with a bias and often it's implicit. It might even be a, a blind spot. I can't fully see it's what makes me nervous is when people um, say that, that that's not, that's not true. They don't have a bias, you know, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. that it, like you're saying, they know. And so there are things that I feel like I can know, but um, there's also this thing called faith. I'm not sure if anyone's heard of it. Um, yeah. That is the essence of um, if you're, if you are a person of faith, that is the essence of it is that you are believing in something that is, is valid, but not absolutely verifiable in some exact way. Right. And so we decide that we believe being a person of faith is a better way to live. And we believe that that is, um, the kind of person we want to be, the kind of way we want to go through our life. We believe that we need help outside of ourselves. This is something I know. I know this for myself, for myself. I believe for myself that self-help is super important and it has been a very powerful tool. And I know for me, it is not enough. I know in the words of like um, AA that I have to be connected to a higher power. And I also know for me that that in this these odd undeniable ways, a higher power is connected to me that I, I, things arrive. We've talked about this before, like things arrive that aren't, I, they're just, there's no other explanation for me. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, this is a roundabout way of saying that there is an element of faith in all of this too, that is, um, when we walk into churches or we walk into organizations, when the emphasis is on certainty that somehow somebody's lost the plot because yeah. I, because the whole point of this is that faith is the essence. And that doesn't mean we, there aren't things we can't believe or can't know, but, um, we have to be careful with mm-hmm. what we're saying those things are. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by my new book, Hope Anyway, releasing August 17th, 2021. This book is about what it looks like to survive loss and emerge a truer version of yourself. If you are listening to this episode before August 17th, the book is available for pre-order now, and I have some really good thank you gifts to send your way when you pre-order Hope Anyway in any format and from any bookseller. So to learn more about the book and to claim your pre-order bonuses, go to hopeanywaybook.com. Yeah. So when, what's your take on, or how would you respond to someone saying, there's a, there's a reason this bad things happen to you and 
here's my reason. I, like, well, how I do you respond would, to things like that? Yeah, I re- I just would reframe it and say um, that anything that happens to us can have creative and generative um, possibilities and that um, something important can come out of them. So it's more on the back end than it is on the front end. I just don't find that that's valid, like using that word again, mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, You know, it goes back to that, that interpretation of the story of, um, Jonah in the old Testament, right. And Jonah flees and he gets on the ship and he's going in the wrong direction and the people on the ship throw him off. And then he, the, the big giant fish comes and scoops him up. Right. And some people Mm -hmm. say that was Jonah's judgment being in that belly of that fish. And then there's an, uh, there's also a beautiful interpretation that says that was God's rescue of Mm -hmm. Jonah, that he was thrown into the waves to die and God sent a fish to rescue him, you know? And Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like how you look at that. It's the same thing. So yes, horrible things happen. And Jonah made some bad decisions in that story to get him in a horrible situation. And, and yet he was preserved and saved and not in the way that he maybe would have liked, right? Like, like if we followed the story, then, and it doesn't matter if you think this is literal or not, that is that again, this is another thing to me that makes me insane, but this story is true of us, no matter if Jonah was like swimming around in intestines or not. Right. 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 Yeah. We, we make choices. There are consequences to those choices or sometimes things just very horrible things happen. And there we are swimming in a sea of death and a fish comes along and says, here I am. And we might, we could say, no, thanks. I'm not interested. Um, so I think, yeah, you go through a divorce, you go through the loss of a spouse and it's a, it's a sea, you're swimming in a sea of chaotic death and God will send fish. That's mm-hmm. what I believe. Mm-hmm. And it's not always comfortable to know that what's helping you and moving you along is like gooey fish guts. But <laughs> if we're to extend the metaphor here. Yeah. You know, that isn't but, very helpful now that you say it, but <laughs> But sometimes it's what we have, right? But it delivers us on to, to it spits us up on the land, you know, in uh-huh. one piece and we are thankful for it, you know? Yeah. So I guess, I don't know if that metaphor falls apart, but that's what I think of. Like, yeah, I don't know that it's so, there is no way to make sense of why these things happen, who gets chosen that they happen to and who doesn't. Even in the story of Job, it's like he didn't, the, his friends are saying, you must have been a total jackass for all this to be happening to you. And, it, right. and it's like very clear in the story that this is not a punishment. It's not a judgment, mm-hmm. right? So it's hard. How can you parse out why things happen to some people and why they don't? Yeah. You know, I think, um, yeah, it's what happens on, I, th- I think that what I would say is, there's purpose in all kinds of suffering. Mm-hmm. The bad things are not about who you are. Bad things are, I think, a, a result of living in the world. Yep. Of, yep. of what's, what happens to human beings. I think um, this is, you know, of course, something I've thought a lot about, um, you know, having, having been someone who experienced a lot of sexual abuse as a child and being raised in a very fundamentalist um, environment of like those things, where do you put that? Where do you, where do you put that Mm. kind of damage and, and where's God in the middle of that? And so it's been a lot of years of untangling that. And I think eventually what I came to 
the only thing that I could live with um, and still feel like uh, my higher power or the divine or God was on my side, right? Yeah. Was here yeah. for me, um, was this idea that free will is a big part of, of being a human being. It's like the right to choose, right? We yeah. all have the right to choose how we're going to live our lives, how we're going to treat others, how we're going to treat ourselves. And so what I came to was this idea that like God has bound God's self to this, promise that everyone would be free to choose how they would live, whether they would pursue good, pursue evil, whatever they would do. And um, that that's the reason why that happened is that in the same way that I am free to choose, my perpetrator was free to choose. And that's, that's a hard pill to swallow, but it, it it helps it make sense that like if we all have choices and if that is the highest value there, like keeping that, that I don't know how I would say that best, but this idea of like God keeping his paws off of us enough that we would be in charge of this relationship of whether we yeah. would move toward or whether we would move away. Yeah. Um, that that comes with some real bad news. Yep. <laughs> for us, right? Yep. And yeah. Like, if I want to let you love me and be in a relationship with me, it has to be your choice. I can't create mm-hmm. you as a robot. And then people mm-hmm. are going to choose all kinds of different things because of that. I think that yeah. is uh, is super important. I think mm-hmm. that's super important. And so, um, I'm grateful for my free will, right? Yeah. And yeah. yet. I am not grateful for the way that other people choose to use it. Right. Right. And yet it was very helpful to me to see the, the experience of that really belonging to that other person that God was not involved. God was not involved in that bringing and bringing that into my life. It's what happened because he was a part of our family because he lived in our house too much, you know, because of all the things that like were, were a part of, his decision making or the reality or my situation. It's like it just happened. Yeah. I was I was a person who was in the wrong place at the wrong time many, many times. And that's what happened. But God was not a part of the happening of that. Yes. And that was I, I think it's good. Very important for me to unhook so yeah. that I could tolerate it. Yeah of, yeah, of course, because otherwise you would not be able to be in a relationship with God. Or mm-hmm. with a God who caused that. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think the other piece for me is um, that while that is a hands-off situation, the way that God is present in that is, is the with us, right? The like, yep. I'm right, I'm right here. I'm right here. And I would say that even as a child, while those things were happening, there was a sense of like, God is God is beside me. Yeah. God is beside me. God is not stopping this. And that's really painful, but God is here. God is here. And that is what's keeping me sane is that he is here. Yeah. And that somehow together we're going to find a rescue and it might yeah. take a really long time, but we're going to find a way to rescue. And that is what my experience has been is that over the years, there's been a lot of rescue in ways that I don't have other explanations for, just like you're saying, right? Of yeah. the ways that I've felt uh, like God has blown in with like 
here's where we need to go next. Here's some folks who are going to take us on this journey. Here's some things to think about. Here's some, there's been rescue all the way along in terms of the processing of that terrible experience. Yes. Yes. The back end of it. And then, you know, as I sit here and look at your life, I see the work that you're doing with other people. And I have to believe that your own choice to heal and to process the trauma that happened to you has also led you into wanting to help others do that and gain freedom that you have found. And so do I, do I think that God caused this in your life that you could help others? I don't like that phrase either. Right. But I think that there's been creative meaning in the journey of healing that you've chosen to take with God. And that has brought you to a place that's expansive and has helping yeah. to bring other people freedom too. And so that's kind of, I think a great example of what we're talking about. And I relate mm-hmm. so much to what you're saying in my own way, Elaine. I remember sitting in my car after the initial therapy session that Steve and I went to and realizing like, I can't put this back together again. Mm-hmm. And I, and I felt like God was right there in the car. I mean, mm-hmm. God was right there in the car with me. And I felt those same things like God saying, I'm not, I'm not going to stop this. I'm not going to stop this, but I'm right here. Mm-hmm. I am like right here. Yeah. And I felt like, yeah, I mean, I could have walked away from God because God didn't stop it. Um, but I think that goes back to what you were saying so beautifully earlier is that everyone that we're in relationship with has a choice with how they're gonna how they're going to use that up their own free will, you know. And so God's mm-hmm. not gonna say, maybe in this case or ever, I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm going to now yeah, I mean, it's hard. Like, could God heal a person? Yes, but Anyway, yeah, it it does seem like miraculous things sometimes happen, right? That look like that, but it also seems like mostly the whole thing is about the process. The whole thing yes. is about yes, okay, this is our situation, right? It's sort of like when Ken was sick, and even when Ken died, um, I was I was grateful that the question of why was not relevant to me. It was like people get cancer. That's just a fact of life. Lovely, beautiful, necessary people get cancer and disappear off the planet. And there is no point in gnashing our teeth about why that happens because it happens every day to someone. Right. And so let's not waste our energy on something that there's no life in that conversation. There's no answer to that. There's just it's just like it is. It is what it is. Accidents happen because accidents happen. That's yeah. why we call them accidents, yeah. right? Like, right. it's like right. Thing, things just happen. You look down for a second or somebody's turning the radio on and you're in a car crash. You know, it's like yeah. these, these are things that just happen because we live on the planet. And so let's not waste so much time trying to figure out the why of something and who's to blame for it and what to do with all of that. But let's just move into here's my reality. Here's my reality. What am I going to do with my reality? Because that's all I have control over. Absolutely. You know, I think we talked last time about detaching from outcomes. And I think some of this is this work of detaching from the why, like it's instead of, instead of investing all of our energy and getting an answer or getting a product out of this, we need to invest that at least that much energy in the process of healing and dealing with what is right. And so, um, I, I think 
what you're saying is so good. It's like, I, I, I am I going to ever come up with an answer to why that will satisfy me? Mm-hmm. No, no. Mm-hmm. I think what you're saying is true. These things happen and they're tragedies. And that's why they're called a tragedy because out of nowhere, it all changes. And so, um, yeah, but there is an opportunity to invest in a process that could go somewhere and could, mm-hmm. you know, it also makes me think of, um, I don't know if this is helpful, but I go back to that scene in the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is trying to fix the situation, right? It's, he's got to go to the cross and he's trying to fix it. Even Jesus, he's saying, is there any other way that we could get this done without me having to go through this, you know? Mm-hmm. And finally that, that whole scene ends up with him saying, it's not, not my will, but yours. And I think there's, that's part of, for me, the process of surrendering to what is right. Okay. This is what has happened. It sucks. It's horrible. I would have gone around it any way possible had there been any other choice. But part of the the model of that story for me is for us to sit in the garden for as long as it takes and to a point where we can at least open our hands a tiny bit and say, okay, all right, I will accept what is here now. And I will trust that something is going to come out of this that I can't see right now, that I don't understand right now. Um, and that if nothing else, if nothing ever comes out of this, to remember that I'm not alone. Mm. I'm not alone. Yeah. Yeah, because sometimes that's all that there is in front of you, right? It's this sense of like, all I know is that I'm not alone and I don't I don't know what else to do or what else to think or what else to feel, but I'm just going to stay with that idea that like, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think about you as a child, what you were saying in that sense that you weren't alone. And I don't know if that was helpful to you in that moment or if that's been helpful to you since, but there's some, there's something about even when the most horrific, unthinkable thing is happening to know that that's, it's not happening because we've been forgotten or we've been abandoned Mm -hmm. is important. Yeah. Oh gosh, this is real sad, isn't it? It's just heavy. It's heavy to like dive into the deep end of suffering. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you yeah. know, but I also think there's got to be people out there who are spinning their wheels in trying to figure out why this happened to them and not their neighbor. And perhaps the the hope in this conversation is that we're all learning to open our hands a little bit more and to stop trying to fix it or find a way around it and say, okay, this is what's happening. And so what do I need? And where is God now? Not, not, um, make, you know, trying to force God into a corner and give us some kind of an answer as to why this happened or why it was allowed and permitted. I mean, maybe that's part of the process, but at some point I think we have to say, I'm going to surrender to what is and what needs to happen next. Yeah. Um, can you describe like the, how the journey for you around that thought with, with your marriage ending, like, how did you get from, I got to fix this. I got to fix this to, I surrender to what is and, and in moments where it might still come up of like, was there something I could have done or whatever? Like, what, what do you do with that in those moments? Yeah. Well, so Steve and I had an initial conversation 
um, where, you know, I found out that this is what was going to be happening. And, um, and then there was, there was some time that passed uh, a week and a half, let's say about, and then we were scheduled to have a counseling appointment. And um, I think from the time that I, that Steve and I had the initial conversation until the time we literally sat down in the counselor's office, I was hatching a plan. I was hatching all these strategies as to all these arguments I was going to mount in this counseling session to be clear on why this was a bad idea and why this needed to change, you know, why he needed to change his mind. And so I spent a lot of energy coming up with um, a lot of foolproof arguments that I thought if I could just come up with the right argument and I could present it in the right way, it would fix everything, right? Which is all about me realizing that the whole entire thing is up to me, right? Yeah, I've yeah. got to be the one to fix this. Um, and so I sat down in that counseling appointment and and launched into all of my, you know, foolproof fix it concepts and my arguments. And it just became qu very clear, very quickly that this we were not there to have a collaborative conversation. This was sort of like getting a third party to help us um, put an end to things that the decision was made. And I was not going to come up with an idea that was going to change this person's mind. And so um, that in and of itself was, you know, from from the energy inside my body from when we sat down to an hour later when we left, the energy just totally changed to, mm -hmm. oh, crap. Yeah. You know, like I, I, I just was very aware that I was not going to be able to fix this. Now I am like a, a quote unquote strong person and I have a lot of gears and I have a lot of ideas and I have, I can, I can shift into a new gear. Right. So I sit mm -hmm. in my car after that appointment and I, I sat in my car and I, I was just devastated. I was devastated all over again because it was becoming yeah. clear what, what was the reality. Right. And the reality yeah. is you can come up with a lot of great arguments that you might even find to be quite true. And it doesn't matter. Yeah. It actually doesn't matter because you can't control another person. Mm -hmm. Right. But going back to our free will thing. And so I just remember God whispering to me, and this is why I call it the voice of love, the voice of love coming very close to me in that moment of just complete, complete devastation and saying, you have to let him go. You have to let him go. Had that not happened, I might be sitting here still just trying to claw my way back into something that I needed to let go of. Yeah. You know, I read Anne Lamott posted this week, this beautiful post. And she said, everything I ever let go has claw marks. Mm. In it. Yes. I saw that too. That is so true. And I just, that's the perfect, mm -hmm. perfect line to describe that whole season, yeah. like you will have to pry this out of my cold, dead hands. But in right, that moment, right. and I felt like God was saying, even like, you need to turn your hands over and open them and you have to let go. And that, that was a choice in that moment to do that. But it was also an ongoing process, right? Like we choose to let go, mm -hmm. but then we have to practice the implications of that yeah. choice. Right. So then I picked yeah. it up a hundred times, but then I would come back to that. It was a grace, that moment of, mm. and it also re it, in a way it, um, it relieved me or maybe even absolved me of like, I guess I just didn't know how much I needed to fight. I didn't know how much I needed to keep yeah. trying, keep trying, keep trying. And it was this voice that's, that was this, I knew the voice. I knew it. Mm. I knew it was familiar to me and it was Leanna. Let go. You have yeah. to let go. 
And I also realized that if this thing was ever going to fix or heal, that it wasn't going to be, that it had to be let go of anyway. Right. Don't they say like, if it's meant to be, it comes back. And it was like, I just knew in that moment, I didn't know how it was all going to go, but I knew that my next step was to open my hands. Yes. This episode is brought to you by our upcoming women's retreat on Orcas Island, Washington. You guys join Elaine and me and 18 other women in 40 acres of private woods overlooking Puget Sound for a weekend of reflection and discussion and really good food. I cannot overstate that. To learn more about our retreat or to register, go to soulcarehouse.com. And I'm telling you guys, you do not want to miss this. Yeah, thank thank goodness you had that experience because of the many, many times that you do try to pick something back up, right? It's like, we need some kind of grounding, like this is our center. It's like, this reality is our center, but it's really hard to stay there all the time. It is. It's just really helpful to have that experience to go back to like, no, 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 no. I think, I I think I know what I'm supposed to be doing because there were, there were not only your own feelings about that and your own desire to rescue the marriage, but the feelings of other people who thought it it could be saved if you only whatever, right? Like, yeah. If you just try this, you could talk about this, you could do this. And it's like, those are awesome ideas and that's not, it's not working, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, no one was more invested than I was. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. (laughs) So, yeah. And I, I remember, um, quite a few times over the next probably year to two years, just writing down in my journal at the top of the page, since this is happening, yes. since this, since is, this happening, is happening, right? Yes. Like, like no, you have no new information. So mm-hmm. not, this is not, this is happening. Yeah. So, so I would have to start my day with that, which helped me to live in, I think you even said to me, get it at one point, you need to stay current with reality. <laughs> <You know? laughs> It helps you get current with reality when you write at the top of your paper, since this is happening and then you kind of move into your day or decide what you need. Um, it, it, when you hang out in that bargaining space of grief or that denial space of grief, it can do tricks on you. And that's when you need a therapist, a spiritual director, a very wise friend, someone who's not trying to get you to get your hands all back in on it. Someone who doesn't have an agenda for you who is just sort of repeating back to you, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. And um, so what do we need? Since this this is what's happening, what do we need? And yeah, so um, I don't, I don't do well living in reality in general. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's a particularly strong suit of mine, you know, like I really love fantasy and I really Uh like, I want to be in the fantasy, you know, reality is hard and it sucks, you know? And so, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a particular strong suit of mine to be highly realistic anyway. (laughs) So (laughs) it, it took, and maybe that prolonged my own journey of surrender and, um, I'm sure it did, but yeah, I think that's something I'm learning as much now as I was four years ago, that how do we cooperate with what is, how do we cooperate with the now instead of spending so much energy trying to fix it, fix it, change it, rescue it. Yeah. Yeah. And the tricky thing is that sometimes it's not as clear, right? Like sometimes, 
you know, for I think a lot of folks who are going through divorces, they're often getting very conflicting messages from the partner who's leaving or even within themselves. Like, I feel like I should go, but then there are days where I feel like I shouldn't go. You know, like that's a particularly difficult thing to navigate because often there's, you know, there's children involved, there's finances involved, there's so many consequences and you walk down that road for a little bit and you're like, oh crap, this is, this is really, this is really a big deal and this is really messing up a lot of things and maybe I should, you know, whatever. So I, I think, I guess I just want to encourage people to give themselves a lot of grace about like trying to figure it out. It takes time to figure it out. But like, what is, what is actually happening? What should happen? What do I want to happen? You know, like in in, in every scenario, there's a lot of, there's a lot of options still on the table. Absolutely. In the middle of these difficult things and the outcomes are still unknown. And, you know, I feel, I felt that way a lot with um, what was going on with Ken is that I didn't, I didn't know what the outcome would be. I mean, they, they they said he wouldn't survive, but I also know that a lot of times people do survive, right? Like I fed myself yeah. a lot of that information about like the outliers, like the people who make it through and all of that. And I was very determined of like, I, I said to my children, I will not let your father die. I will not. Yeah. And I think in some ways, uh, as hard as it was to be, so determined it it also gave me peace that that I had done what I could do to try to save him and even though it was not it it was ineffective in every way it it does give me some peace that I fought as hard as I could for him and and then I have to let go of that not being enough and I think that was the other really dangerous thing that I did to myself afterwards was looking for ways that, that I failed. Like Mm -hmm. what are all the things that, what are all the ways that I contributed to what happened to him? And so I I sort of like, I made it real hard for myself on both ends of like, I have to save him. And then I'm the reason he died there. And there were a lot of, you know, as you know, I, I had a million conversations with you about like, all the things that I did that caused Ken's death, like I was too stressful to live with. I kept the house too warm. <laughs> like there was just like endless, yeah, endless yeah. reasons. I didn't force him to eat vegetables enough, you know, like all the reasons why. And so I think I just say all that to say, um, when we go through hard things, there's often this very messy middle, as you say, right? Yes. This very yes. messy, messy yeah. middle where, you don't know where you're going and you're trying to navigate something that in hindsight, you're like, Oh yeah, that's what was going to happen. I'm like, you don't, you don't know that while you're no in it. No way. No, no. And of course, I mean, of course I ask myself those same questions and, and, you know, and in my case, which is different, I actually think in this example than your case, it is important to do, to look back and say, did I cause this? Mm-hmm. What, what, what personal responsibility do I need to take for this severing of this relationship? In your case, I think it's a little different. You know, um, I think that was some of your grief was just how could I possibly stop this? And how could I have possibly 
saved my kids from having to go through this. I think as mothers, we do get a, like when we see our kids going through pain, it makes us crazy. It's just makes us crazy. It's like I would have done anything, anything. And and should I should have I have done anything more to have saved these these precious people from having to feel this, you know, yeah. uh, which is their own journey, too. And that's hard to, like, get our hands yeah. off our kids a little bit and say, OK, but I think it is when someone's going through a divorce or the the end of a of a relationship. I I do think it is part of the per, a personal responsibility to go back and say, how did I contribute to this? What could I have done differently? And mm-hmm. then also to realize there's just you you take responsibility for what you need to take responsibility for, and then again there are things that you have to let go of as things that are beyond your control. You know, and I think these middles are incredibly, incredibly messy. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, Yeah, and I I think there are people in situations that probably do need to fight harder, (laughs) you know? Right, right, right. Well, Elaine, this is like the most tender territory conceivable, you know? And I guess, again, this is why I just feel like we can come up with some pretty awesome answers inside of ourselves about everything, but you know, I think we are reliable sources about things and we also need help too. All those things are true. And so, um, yeah, I'm grateful that I have not had to walk this road in my own crazy head alone, that I have had, um, the sincere, just incredible gift of having you as a friend to help bring me back to reality at times and to walk with me. And I've watched you, um, ask the hardest conceivable questions and also I've watched you rise thank you for listening Elaine and I both hope that our conversation today will help you find your footing as you step into the next new moment in your story you can find Elaine at thesoulcarehouse.com and you can find me Leanna Tankersley at leannatankersley.com We are both active on Instagram and Facebook and would love to meet up with you there. Follow us at Soul Care House and at Leanna Tankersley. Okay, you guys, until next time.